Without further ado, first, uh, the anchor verse for this season is 1 Corinthians 15, 45. It says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The name Adam means mankind. Adam in scripture is a representation of all of mankind. What Paul is saying is this. The first Adam was given life and chose death. Genesis chapter 2. He was given life. He was given all that he could ever want and a joy. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he ate from that tree and he experienced death because of it. The last Adam chose death to give life. So the first Adam was given life and chose death. The last Adam chose death so that we could have life. Paul is posing through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this choice. And this is the choice that all of us have to make. Do I choose to live my life, to build my life, and connect my life to the first Adam or the last Adam? Do I choose to identify with the first Adam, who was given life and chose death, or the last Adam that chose death so that I can have a life-giving spirit, so that I can be renewed and I can be transformed. That is the centerpiece of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, for context's sake, and you need to know this for context, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and really all of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it was one letter broken into two, he is preaching to Christians. He's communicating to the church and the body of Christ at large. Here's why this is important. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. There you go. To the church in Corinth, to those that are part of the sanctified body in Corinth, called to be God's holy people. And then he wraps us in there, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. That's all of us. Verse 3, grace and, priest, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is really important to understand. Paul is writing to Christians, and it was to the church in Corinth, it was to those sanctified in Corinth, and it was to the body of Christ at large. Why is this important to understand? Because he's about to roll into something where he's correcting a broken view of the resurrection. What had happened was the Corinthians had began to merge the Christian gospel with Greek culture. They began, so in other words, they created a gospel of convenience. They took what was convenient for them from the gospel and merged it with their own life and the things that they enjoyed and they wanted to continue doing. My goodness, are we in a time where this is happening right in front of us? We have a gospel where, and here's what happens when you create a gospel of convenience. It's convenient, but it lacks all power. It's convenient. It works for you so you can continue to do whatever you want to do and then take from the gospel whatever sounds good to you so that you can create for yourself your, if I hear your truth, my truth, live your truth, live my truth, live, have I, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. That is, it, we, we live in a time where 
people's worldviews, I think Carrie Newhoff said this, people's worldviews, they are staging their lives on worldviews that can be imploded within two to three questions. If you're to live your own truth and I to live my own truth, what happens when my truth comes into contradiction with your truth? What is truth? Start waffling and worming on you and trying to figure, what did Jesus say? I came in grace and truth. He has the truth. This is the truth. It can't be your opinion of truth and my opinion of truth. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, let's get back to context, it can't be your gospel combined with your culture. It has to be the gospel. And here's what he rolls in three. He says, because if it is your Greek culture combined with the gospel, with the Christian gospel, you have no power. And if you have no power, you have no savior. And if you have no savior, you're still guilty. And if you're still guilty, you're not getting to God. And then he finishes up with, and your life is pitiful. So here's what was happening. They had the Christian gospel, and they actually, some did believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. Most of them would adhere to the resurrection of Jesus. They just didn't believe it had any relevance to them. They didn't believe that people rose. Within Greek culture, it was not understood that people would rise. Within Greek mythology, people did not raise from the dead. New life was not given to people after they died. It was spiritual, it was mythological, but it was not resurrected. And so what they did was they began to say, yeah, I believe uh, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but man, what, what on earth does that have to do for me? What does that have in, in my life? And we listen to that and we think it's crazy. But remember a month ago when Star and Hans were up here and they were sharing their testimony and Star was saying our marriage was a disaster. It was over. I went to counseling just to, so I could tell all my friends I did it and say that everything was done. And the counselor looked at her and he said, do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? And she said, yeah. And then he said, no, 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 you're not hearing me. Do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? And she said, yeah. And he said, so you're going to tell me that God can pull a dead man out of the grave, but he can't raise your marriage to life. Let me ask you something. What is it in your life that you have for some reason, maybe even subconsciously, come to believe is more powerful than the resurrection of Jesus? God raised Jesus from the dead, but I'm dead in addiction. My life's over. God raised Jesus from the dead, but I've got no purpose. I've got no future. God raised Jesus from the dead, but my marriage is dead right now. God raised Jesus from the dead, but my kids are too far gone right now. God raised Jesus from the dead, but you don't know what's going on in my past. You don't know what I, No, that's exactly what Paul is saying. That is what resurrection life does. It gives you new life, new hope, a new future because the last Adam has a life-giving one person is catching on. The last Adam has a I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. The last Adam has a life-giving spirit. Choose to identify with that. But choosing to identify with the first Adam that's dead, that was given life and chose death. No, the last Adam chose death so that we could have life. Whew, that was a long introduction. 
You already got me sweating and a little frustrated and everything else. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Let's get to the message. Set it up, okay? We know where we're at. We know what's going on. Uh, Paul uses a Latin term, reducto ad absurdum. It means a reduction to absurdity. It's an argumentative phrase where you basically take somebody's argument and you reduce it to absolute absurdity. It's arguing with a four-year-old. Why? But why? Well, then why? But what about this? Well, why is that, right? It's a, it's, it is an absolute obliteration of an argument by reducing it and reducing it and reducing it till it reaches the place of complete absurdity. Reductio ad absurdum. I just said that to make me sound smart. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. Here you go. We just talked about all this. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Notice the distinction. You believe Jesus rose from the dead, but you don't believe you can rise from the dead. You believe Jesus is resurrected, but you don't believe it means anything to you. Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Translation. If you're going to follow culture, follow culture. If you're going to follow the gospel, follow the gospel. But you cannot combine the two. You cannot walk around talking about how Jesus rose from the dead and live a dead life. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Reduction to absurdity. Here he goes. Verse 15. This is a really cool verse, especially if you're an attorney. This is is legal language that he throws in here. It's very serious legal language. The clearest translation of it would be, if we're denying resurrection, we're perjured testimony before God. Listen to what he says. More than that, we are found then, found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he is ra- he, that he raised Christ from the dead but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised in other words Paul is saying if you're saying that we cannot rise and you're saying that the resurrection is merely mythical and it's not true I'm a perjured testimony before God Deuteronomy chapter 19 perjury was punishable by death so Paul's saying, if I'm walking around, and you've got to remember this, the early apostles, they were not just preachers of Christian value. They were eyewitnesses testifying of their eyewitness account of the resurrection and appearances of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, if you're saying there is no resurrection, I'm a perjured testimony. My head's on the chopping block. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life, listen to this, if only for the life that we're living now, we have hope in Christ. Saying if, if your best life is this life, if your only hope is you breathing right now, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me walk you through a little uh, quicker translation of what Paul is saying. He's saying, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. If Christ is not risen, we're a false witness before God. 
If Christ is not risen, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no principle of resurrection. If there's no principle of resurrection, death has power over him and, he is, and death has defeated him. If death has power over him, he's not God. If he's not God, he can't be a sacrifice for our sins. If he can't be a sacrifice for our sins, our sins aren't paid for. If our sins aren't paid for, I'm still guilty before God. So the conclusion is, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he can't save. Worse still, if Christ isn't risen, those who have fallen asleep in him have perished. And worst of all, Paul says, if Christ has not risen and our only hope is this life that we're living right now we are the most pitied joke of all mankind we are just purely to be pitied have sorrow on me you want some really straight preaching i feel like giving you something really straight to wake you up a little bit let me tell you it does not matter who follows you it does not matter who you are following does not matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter how pretty you are. It doesn't matter how cute you are. It doesn't matter how funny you are. It doesn't matter how charismatic you are. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter how cool your cars are. It doesn't matter how much money you make, the position you have at work. It doesn't matter the amount that's in your 401k. If you do not have the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of your life, Paul says you will be miserable and you'll burn in hell after life as clear as it gets. Paul says we're to be the most pitied because we're still in our sins. We're still guilty. There's no sacrifice. And this life is our only hope. Hear what I was saying at the beginning. We have to realize what we're talking about. We're not just talking about another principle of doctrine. We're talking about the principle of doctrine. We're talking about the foundation of our faith. We have to realize what we have. I heard a story uh, by another preacher. He was talking about um, this college kid who went away and he went to school. And when he got to school, he ran out of money quick. Seems to be a common occurrence, right? And so when he was out of money, he uh, called home to his mom and he said, Mom, I'm broke. And she said, I'm mailing, your, I'm mailing you your Bible. I love a mama like this. She said, I'm mailing you your Bible. I need you to read and pray, and God will speak to you. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you for that, right? Mails in the Bible. He gets the Bible. She says, read and pray. So he start, he, 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 a couple months go by, and he calls his mama, and he said, Mama, I'm still broke. She said, are you reading and are you praying? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, but I still don't have any money. She said, read a little more, pray a little more, baby. <laughs> phone hangs up he's waiting around he's waiting around sooner or later a couple months go by she hears a knock at the door she opens up the door and there's her son and he's standing there and he's frustrated he looks annoyed and he walks into the house and he sits down and she says what are you what are you doing home right now and he said when I needed you the most I called you and I asked you to send me my, I needed you the most, mom. I had nothing. I wasn't eating. I couldn't do anything. I needed you the most, and I called you, and you didn't help me. You didn't show up. And she said, where's that Bible? He hands her the Bible, and she opens it up. And she had put a $100 bill at the beginning of each book of the Bible. 
66 books of the Bible, $6,600 was inside that Bible. And she said, I told you if you would read and you would pray, you would find exactly what you're looking for. Here's what I think. I think we miss the value of what we're talking about right here. We miss the value of it. We don't see what we're about to talk about. The resurrection is not fun and games. It's not a stone rolled away. A man walks out of a tomb and we all sing on April 3rd or 4th or whatever it is. It is our life. It is our only hope. It is your only chance at a future that is not miserable and pitied. It's your only hope at a future of life that is fully satisfied in Christ. So what does Paul give us? Reduces the argument to pure absurdity. Guys, I'm headed to 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22. I took those five things that I left for principles of theology and the resurrection, put them in sermon notes. You got it? Here's what Paul gives. Paul, I mean, absolutely obliterates their argument, right? And then he comes up, 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22. This is it. He said, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Here you go, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. There's a parallel that he continues to make. He makes it here. We read it in verse 45. He continues to compare these two things. I'll, I'll share with you an illustration to kind of set it up. Um, when I was a kid growing up, there was this baseball team that we used to play. We used to play tournaments on the weekends, and they just beat the brakes off of everybody. I mean, run ruling every team, winning every tournament. It was annoying. Their uniforms were cool. They had their numbers and names on their bags and all their helmets, and, you know, it was just, I, we were so sick of it. It was terrible. And they were arrogant. They were stuck up. They played hard and they won everything. And I could not stand them. It was the worst thing in the world losing to that team. You think I'm still bitter? You think I still got a little something in there from that? Well, let me tell you what happened. They held tryouts one year. I showed up at the tryouts and I made the team. You know what happened? I got my number on a backpack, too, and I have my number on a helmet. I pranced out on that field like I was somebody again, too. And we won every tournament that we played in, and I was celebrating with the team, and I was holding the trophy up. We didn't give high fives after a game. We just beat you. You beat us, we'll give you a high five, but we ain't giving you no high five. You, you know what happened? As terrible as it was to lose to them, it was just as good to win with them. What Paul is saying is as terrible as life is with the first Adam, it's just as good with the last Adam. As terrible, as terrible as it is to be stuck in life that is just death, it is just as good to enter into life with a life-giving spirit. Okay, three points. We need to understand from 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22, how we walk in our resurrection. You realize this. If your resurrection goes to the cross with Christ, to the death with Christ, to the burial with Christ, to the resurrection of Christ, to the appearances of Christ, to the ascension of Christ, you've stopped too short. It comes to you. Now it's up to you. It starts, what did Paul say, the first fruits of those 
who have risen. It starts with us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits. If you have your Bible, circle that word. If you're on your phone, screenshot, circle it, do whatever you need to do. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That Greek word for first fruits is a parchi. It's a word that is used that mirrors the Old Testament word in Leviticus 23 for the first fruits offering. It was known as the entrance fee. So the first fruits offering, Leviticus chapter 23, was when you, when you planted a harvest, right? And the first fruits of that harvest began to pop up. I mean, the very start of what could be a great harvest. You went and you took that first part of that harvest and you went to the temple with it and it was your entrance fee. And you walked up to the temple and you paid your entrance fee with that first fruits offering. And the idea behind the first fruits offering was that when you gave this offering, you were committing to God in anticipation that the rest of the harvest would be blessed. That the rest of the harvest would have his favor on it. When Paul says Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, when he says the resurrection of Christ is the first fruits, what he's saying is Christ is your entrance fee. Christ is your first fruit offering. When Spurgeon says all of the blessings of Christ flow through the resurrection of Christ, he's dead on and he's talking about this verse. All of the blessings of Christ, the life that you desire in Christ, you hear me preach about it every week, fully satisfied life, life full of hope, a life full of faith, a life full of love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that whole life flows through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ, and he is the first fruits of it. In other words, he is our entrance fee into that life. He is our entrance into the life that we long for and desire in him. My, my, <laughs> talking about entrance fees, my wife is watching church online, by the way. It's what you do when you stay up uh, all night with a baby and then have three kids to roll with in the morning. Aren't you thankful for church online? Church family online, I, I'm thankful for you. We didn't have church online a year ago. Um, now we have church online. We got all these things rolling. We have hundreds of people that join us every week. YouTube just sent us a creator's award for having rapid growth on our channel in 2020 through 2021. Isn't that cool? YouTube's even saying, way to go, church. You guys are doing something. Okay, cut the cameras. I'm about to talk about my wife. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, she, she, her and I are a little different, um, and it's just, you know, we're different Enneagram numbers, <laughs> or whatever it's worth. Uh, I am super conservative financially. I don't like to spend money on anything. Down to, like, at the grocery store. You know how they have those, those things, a pre-chopped onion? They just charge you double for a quarter of an onion chopped up for you already? You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. Buy me an onion. I will chop it for you. I'll put it in a Tupperware and we'll save $2, right? Like, I am super conservative when it comes to stuff like that. My wife is like, so my first question is, how much is it going to cost? Anna's first question is, how much fun is it going to be? Right? That's our dynamic. How much is it going to cost? 
How much fun will it be? Like, we'll figure out the cost later. This will be so much fun. So I've realized I I used to be extremely, extremely rigid. Now I'm just kind of rigid, right? So there are times where it's just, let's just have fun, and let's let the seven float on the clouds, and I'll just follow along with her and, and have some fun, right? So we, she wanted to go to this, uh, what was it? It was a drive-through safari, like outside of College Station. She's like, I want to go to this drive-through safari. And my first thing was, I, I wanted to say, but I was like, okay, and you've gotten all the details, right? Yeah, I got all the details. Like, you, you, like, I wanted to be like, how much is it going to cost? What? But I was like, okay, you, you got all the details, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, I got all the details. Everything's great. Okay, great. We load up the kids. We drive an hour and 30 minutes to this thing, pull up, and I get there, and I go to, to check in our family, and I was like, okay, I've got uh, four of us. We didn't have Zadok at the time. I was like, I got, I got four of us. And the lady was like, okay, uh, do you want to feed the animals? I was like, yes. And she was like, do you want to go into the monkey room? And I was like, yes. And she said, do you want to see the birds and giraffes and feed the giraffes? And I was like, yeah, sure, sounds good. Okay, she says it's going to be 50 bucks a person. I wanted to be like, okay, hang on, go back to the truck and be like, hey, baby, they're closed. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Place is shut down. I, I was like, 50 bucks? It's like 20 bucks for your entrance fee, 10 bucks for the monkey room, 10 bucks to feed the giraffes, 10 bucks for the food, for the animals, blah, blah, blah. I was so annoyed. I paid $200. I'm thinking like 20 bucks, right? I, I, I was so mad I got in my truck, and, and this is where I could grow. I could have a better attitude after something like that, but boy, I was so frustrated. I was driving, and I had my, my kids were, I paid 200 bucks so my kids could roll my window down and give grain nuggets to domesticated goats. I'm like, I, the whole time, I'm annoyed. whole time, I'm frustrated. Why? Because the, the entrance, I could have gone to Chris's house and done all that. I'm like, the entrance fee was so much. Can I tell you something? Your entrance fee has been paid. Your entrance fee to the kingdom of God, your entrance fee to the life that you desire right now has been paid for. Do you recognize this? The toughest part of your salvation has already been handled. The most difficult part of your salvation has already been nailed to a cross. It's been buried. It's risen. It's appeared. And it's ascended. The hardest thing that you have to do has been taken care of. You are guilty no more. The first fruits of those that rise has already been given. So what's holding you back? The life Life most satisfied. Life in Christ. It's already been taken care of. You just enter in. You receive. We talked about it last week. You enter into the resurrected life that Christ has for you. Romans 6, 5 says, If we, are, we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. In other words... Entrance fees paid. I'm in. I know what I have to do, and I know what the implications are, and it's a no-brainer for me. I'm headed in. Number two, 1 Corinthians 15, 21. It says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also 
through a man. He is, he is giving language that talks about a union. Language that is, it is not just, hey, I identify, it is, hey, I have come together in oneness with. Romans 5, 19-21 says, For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have our entrance fee paid. We enter into union with Christ. Uh, growing up, I had a friend who, um, we actually all had a friend. When I tell you why, you're going you're gonna to laugh. Her dad was um, part owner of the restaurant group that owns Red Robin and a, and a couple other restaurants. So um, anytime you went with her to Red Robin, you ate for free. So we were all friends with her, and uh, we always just ironically wanted to go eat at Red Robin with her. I don't know how it happened. Like every summer night, we're like, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Can we go to Red Robin? Okay, cool. Let's go. And we just, we'd show up there, and every time they knew who she was, they knew who her dad was, and every time we sat at the table, we ate for free. So I remember one night, my friends and I, we called and we were like, hey, do you want to go to Red Robin? And she was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you guys up there. I think that can work. So we headed up. We were sitting on the patio. Man, we were ordering out. I'm like, give me that giant tall stack of onion rings. I want all the onion rings that we can get. Had a cheeseburger, fries, milkshake, Coke, everything. And we were just, we were having a time. And then all of a sudden, my buddy, he got a text. And he was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I was like, what? He said, uh, she said she can't make it. We're like, what? <laughs> do we, what do we, I mean, she's not coming? No, so then the server comes to the table, you know, and we were like, hey, uh, hey, do you know, do you know Molly? I'm not going to tell you her last name. You're going to look her up on Facebook and become friends with her. Like, hey, you want to go to Red Robin? <laughs> she, I was like, we're like, hey, do, do you know, do you know Molly? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, so-and-so, the owner's daughter. Yeah, yeah, we know who Molly is. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, she was supposed to meet us here tonight. And then he was like, oh, really? We're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're friends with her. We eat here with her all the time. You know, like she was supposed to be right here. Right? You know, you know, you picking up what I'm putting down here, pal? Like, she was supposed to be here now. He's like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I was like, oh, all right, cool, cool. All right, just, just so we're on the same page. He comes back like three minutes later, and he's got the bill. And he hands us the bill. And I'm like, hey, pal, what did you not understand about, like, we were here with Molly, right? We, we were supposed to be here with Molly, but she didn't show up. And my buddy said to him, Ben, he said, hey, man, uh, we, we were supposed to be here with Molly. And, and the kid looked back and said, man, I asked my manager, and my manager said so. He said, you can't just be friends with Molly. You have to be with Molly. He said, you're not eating for free just because you're friends with her. You eat for free when she is with you at the table. What Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 is not being friends with Jesus. To understand that. He's not just talking about casually, relationally, oh yeah, I know Jesus, just like everybody else, and I believe in Jesus. He is saying when you come into union, you are with Him, so much so that as you died with Him, you have risen with Him. When you are living in union with Christ, we finish here. I, just, I want to tell you something. Lord, help me communicate this clearly as clearly as you revealed it to me. I, I spent hours studying this this week. 
never come alive to me like this before. I want to tell you something. When we talk about resurrection life, what does that mean? What does that look like? Walk with me through this. If you don't catch anything from today, catch this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It's what we're talking about this whole time. Why is my entrance fee paid? Why do I come into union with Christ? So that I can be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. That verse and that word for alive is a Greek word, zao, or zoon, Z-O-O-N or Z-A-O. It means to germinate, to come to life. In other words, it means to take a soil, to germinate it, to fertilize it, and prepare it to come to life, okay? So you're catching me. That's the first Greek word. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, we, we read it earlier. Paul's talking about pity me if this is the only life that I have. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life, Circle that. That is a Greek word, zoe. That means the fully satisfied life. A life that is completely, 100%, soul is satisfied. You need nothing. You want for nothing. You long for nothing. Because everything you need, hope, wish, desire, and long for is fully satisfied, zoe, in Christ. So Paul is saying, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if for only this life I'm to be fully satisfied, and that's why I hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So you have two words at play here. You have zao, which is the germination of the soil of the soul. It is the fertilization of your heart to have zoe, which is the life fully satisfied, fully complete in him. So go with me, John 5, 24 through 25. This is Jesus. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to Zoe. Crossed over to life fully satisfied. Do you hear that? So when you enter into and come into union with the resurrected Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enter into life fully satisfied. Now listen, verse 25. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear. He's speaking to those who don't know Christ. John 3.36 says, he who does not know Christ stands condemned already. He's a dead man walking. So he's saying when the dead who will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will zow. Their hearts will germinate to a place. Their souls will open to a place where they can live life satisfied. Let me play it out for you. There is Zao and there is Zoe. There is the preparation, there is receiving the life that germinates your soul, that fertilizes your spirit so that you can live in Zoe. And what Jesus and Paul are both saying is this. If you long for Zoe without receiving Zao, you're going to be pitiful. 
If you long for life satisfied and life satisfied for the full, but you have never received the zao, the life of the resurrected king that germinates your spirit, that fertilizes your soul so that you can live life fully satisfied in Christ. If you don't have zao, forget about Zoe. If you're not living a resurrected life, forget about being fully satisfied. If you want this, you have to go here. Give you an example. My neighbor Brenda, she, uh, she's awesome. She watches on Facebook when she can figure out how to work it, by the way. Hey, Brenda, uh, I love you. Good to see you. Um, man, I love, I love my neighbors. Thanks for always lending me spices when I need them, by the way. She watches on Facebook, and uh, she wanted tomato plants. You remember this story? She wanted tomato plants one time. And so my son and I, we happened to be at a donut shop. God bless blueberry cake donuts is all I got to say, right? So two people like blueberry cake donuts, I guess, too. What, y'all on a diet? Y'all gone keto for Easter or something? So we're at the donut shop, and they got these buckets for sale, and I, they're like a dollar a piece. So I said, give me, give me four of them. So I got these little buckets they put their filling in, right? And went back home. We put some soil inside of there, and we planted some tomato plants. And we presented her with these tomato plants, and we put them on her back deck. And after several months, something funny happened. They only grew to be about that tall. And we had done these, these big, meaty tomato plants that we put in there, but they only grew to be about that tall, and the tomatoes were only about that big. And what had happened was when we built the it didn't have enough soil for it to grow. So it just stunted the growth of the tomato plants. It stunted the size of the tomatoes and they could never blossom into what they were designed to be because the soil hadn't been prepared. When Paul is talking about resurrection in 1522, he is talking about your heart being prepared. When he is talking about life and life fully satisfied, he mentions it again in chapter 16. When he's talking about Zoe, he is under the pretense that you have already received resurrection life. So hear me today. It's a plea. It is a gospel plea. If you are sitting in here today, and I don't know who would say no to this, that you desire a fully satisfied life. You no longer want to long for things. You no longer want to wish for things. You no longer want to feel purposeless, but you want to feel like you have purpose. You want to feel like you have hope. You want to feel like you have faith. You don't want to live situation to situation to situation, but you want to live glory to glory to glory. You want to live a faith-filled, fully satisfied life. You desire Zoe. Has Zao happened in your spirit? Have you said, I believe in the death, burial, resurrection, appearance, and ascension of Jesus? Because when you do, your soul is ready to be fully satisfied. Until then, it's searching over and over and over. Come home today.